0: Today's sponsor is MailChimp, the world's leading email marketing platform. 12 million people use MailChimp every day to connect with their customers, market their products, and grow their e-commerce business. Send better mail, sell more stuff. My guests today are Susanna Polo, Dave Tack, and Jeff Ramos. My name is Charlie Hall, in for Justin McElroy. You're listening to a special episode of Polygon's Quality Control. Normally on quality control, you're hearing mostly about video games. We'll talk about some hardware now and again. But today we're talking about something very special. It's, it's a little out of the usual, and I hope you enjoy it. Today we're going to talk about Star Wars Rogue One. I'm very excited to welcome today our entertainment editor, Susanna Polo. How are you, Susanna?
1: Hey, I'm pretty good. Not, not too bad of a Monday.
0: We've also got Polygon's Dave Tech...
2: I am Polygon's Dave Tack, the official Dave Tack of Polygon.
0: You might n- remember Dave from places such as Polygon's critically acclaimed podcast, Minimap. Oh. He's working on guides here at Polygon nowadays. And we're also joined by Jeff Ramos. Hello, Jeff. Hi. And Jeff is our engagement editor here at Polygon. So we, all of us, uh, over the last week, couple of days, weekend, we spent some time watching uh, and and witnessing the first, you know, non numbered Star Wars movie. We all watched Rogue One. I want to start with Susanna. Just, you know, overall, what's your take on this thing?
1: Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I've seen it twice now um, because I actually managed to get into a press screening, um, which was, it was, Mm. it was a, that it was worthy of an entire film, just (laughs) the fact that I got into a press screening in New York. Um, but, But yeah, I had to sit for like, four or five days without being able to talk to almost anyone about Rogue One <laughs> um, which was it was a, tr- a trial in and of itself that's uh, the, the price you pay for getting access to press screenings. It's a rough um, life. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's just it, it hurts to smile. But, um, <laughs> but I, really, I really enjoyed uh, the movie and I'm sure we'll get into that uh, as we go through.
0: Dave, I know you saw it again this morning. What do mm-hmm. you think?
2: Uh, that makes three times uh, since Thursday, the first show that was available. Um, my feelings have evolved from uh, sort of confusion to, uh, to 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 liking it to actually being able to sort of step outside and 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 not see it as a thing that's just sort of overwhelming. Um, so I, I think there's a, a lot to talk about there, especially because uh, just as a brief aside, like. I went into this not, like, like, there are three things, Charlie, that I love in this world, really. I think my family, uh, whatever it is that Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond, and James May are doing at the, together at the time and Star Wars. And I had this weird, weird, weird experience earlier this year when I watched uh, the first trailer for Rogue One and was not so much moved. And I did not expect that that was a thing that would happen to me in my life. Uh, and I spent a lot of time not really watching or finding out much about the movie. So basically, by the time I went in, I had seen the two like official, like the, the teaser trailer and the story trailer. And that was about it. And, uh, and so I went in like pretty deliberately, not knowing what to expect. And then sort of, like I said, being overwhelmed. Uh, by what I saw and then seeing it a couple more times and sort of chewing over it in my mind uh, to arrive where I am today.
0: All right. See, I was just, I was almost exactly the opposite as you. I watched all the trailers. I kind of kept up on the hype cycle and I was, I was like getting chills when this thing would come on screen and I'd be seeing new content for it. Mm -hmm. And then I went and I sat down and actually watched it and it kind of fell a little flat for me. Yeah. It, it didn't have the the same effect that I hoped it would based on those initial trailers and what I knew going in. So I don't know. We'll, we'll definitely talk a little bit more about that.
3: Jeff, what was your take? So... I'm sort of the black sheep in this conversation. I'm probably the opposite of Dave uh, in terms of liking things. Hate my family. Don't <laughs> don't care for what the fellas that uh those fellows are doing. And actually, if not, I've never been a Star Wars fan, which is a super unpopular thing to do when you work in the games and entertainment industry. But I will say, I think the one-two punch between the Force Awakens and Rogue One. I've I. I was actually—I remember finishing the movie and turning to Simone, who's one of our video producers, and like whispering,
1: "Who was who thi- was sobbing at that yeah, point?" Yeah, who was I'm sorry, pretty it was,
3: sure. Well, ta- yeah, well, yeah, she was still kind of coming over some emotions, and I sort of had an emotion of my own. And I turned to her, and I was like, "I think I'm a Star Wars fan now." Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Which is like super one significant. I—I I mean, it's 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 taken some time, but there, I mean, we'll get through the sort of the things that have changed me. But I, you know, I've lived my entire life having multiple friends that i can count on two hands who have who are obsessed with this series down to like getting tattoos arguing with their significant others about whether or not they should name their children after star wars characters mm-hmm. and so like to to be that person who feels like sort of super ambivalent about the franchise is made my life a little rough i had a rough life guys um <laughs> but yeah going yeah. to, Go on to press screenings
1: not like yeah. in star wars it's rough uh,
3: Jeez. Yeah. So, but you know, so, so these, those, the, the most recent films have, I think, changed something in me and sort of made, made me see a lot of what fans have kind of known for the past like three, uh, four decades. Uh, so, I, I think, you know, me being here, I hopefully will offer some perspective for people who have maybe not been fans, but like, hopefully mm-hmm. I'll show these people like there's actually some really awesome things in the universe that I'm now discovering and I'm happy that I have.
0: Well, we're glad to have you, Jeff, because it's it's hard to open the door. you got to walk quite a long way to find someone who's not a Star Wars fan, so we're, we're glad to welcome <laughs> yeah. you into the fold and get your perspective today. It's pretty awesome. Um, if you were a listener of Minimap, you're going to be in for a treat here because this is not going to be your average quality control episode. We're going to go pretty darn past, pretty darn far past our usual 15 to 20-minute chat. We're going to probably go for an hour or more, and we're going to break this episode up likely into a couple of different chunks. So look forward to talking with us about Star Wars Rogue One for the next couple of weeks here on Quality Control. Um, But I kind of wanted to to steal the format that we used last time to talk about The Force Awakens. Dave's been kind enough to go uh, and see it again for that third time, but he took some very careful notes and mm-hmm. so I want to use Dave's note-taking skills here, and we're going to go kind of scene by scene here. We're going to hit the highlights, and we're going to talk about each thing in particular. Dave, the beginning of Rogue One was different from every single other Star Wars movie to date.
2: Sure was. And I think this is, yeah, this is this is one of those things that uh, that Star Wars fans were wondering, right? Like, how is this going to open? Because to date, all Star Wars films have opened with the title crawl, but this like you said charlie is not a an episode it's not a numbered star wars film it is by definition a side story uh, so the question was how the heck were they going to open it and the answer susanna was
1: hmm. yeah like that was one of the first things i said in my review is that instead of a title crawl it's just bam like there is literally just a smash cut into this movie with like a spear of horns yeah. To just be like, no, this is, this is not, you're not getting the Star Wars theme. You're not getting that like crazy, amazing, like adventure music. It's just, but, but what we smash cut into is the opening shot of every Star Wars movie. Yeah. You know, it's a planet and there's a ship and there, and, and I think, I think it's actually, there's another cut, but there is a thing there's just like, there's a shadow, you know, like. Yeah. That this well, is how every Star Wars movie opens, but it is not how every Star Wars movie opens.
2: Sure, sure. And I think the really, I didn't notice this the first time around or, or the second time. Uh, but when I was watching this morning, what I realized is that, you know, there's the there's the title, well, not the title card, but the A Long Time Ago in a Galaxy Far, Far Away card. Mm-hmm. And then there's that smash cut with like, you know, the orchestra hit. But what you're looking at visually is a triangle, although, the you know, it sort of pans up. Um, in, in, in Star Wars movies tend to pan down, although uh, it, there's an exception in Episode 2, uh, although it's technically an upside-down camera. so Wow, a when you up. said we're getting I'm granular, gonna, <laughs> you guys gonna, did not I'm lie. Gonna, I'm going to go ahead and just give myself a wedgie right now. Hang on one sec.
3: But like, Usually the, the openings the, are about 25 seconds. This time right. it was about 37 seconds uh,
2: long. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, the way it looks, the, what I really want to get at here is that the way it looks is what you see is the silhouette of the rings around the planet, right? But the silhouette mm-hmm. is a triangle, like episode four, like a Star Destroyer. Like it was, it was a very clear, and again, not, not obvious to me at first, but like visual link, um, you know, it's the shadow of the planet across the rings, makes it sort of look like a Star Destroyer, which you'll see in the next, you know, in episode four, which takes place in chronology uh, right after this. So, yeah, there's that then it then it becomes the whole sequence on the planet that I don't think is actually named at any point, but it's the the planet where Jin and her parents live because that imperial ship is coming for uh Papa Jin uh because uh, he's um uh he is an imperial in hiding, an imperial on the run.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I um I spent about the week before the movie came out reading, um, when Force Awakens came out, they had a billion tie-in novels and comics and all kinds of other junk. Um, so far as I've been able to there's really only one main one for Rogue One. It's called Catalyst, and it's about, um, mm-hmm. it's about sort of Galen Erso and, and director Krennic, sort of, um, it's sort of about Krennic's like ambitions in trying to massage Galen Erso into working for, Um, working on the Death Star, um, that takes place, like, it begins, um, during, like, it begins, like, um, either during Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith, and it spans until, like, Jin is about three years old, so it spans, like, a period of three years that encompasses, like, the end of, um, The clone wars and sort of the beginning of imperial that interim period of imperial rule before like the the before we get to a new hope um which is it's kind of an interesting area of star wars history to be in and like it i was definitely reading and being like oh is that what was happening in the galaxy the movies did a very (laughs) bad job of communicating (laughs) that um you get the sense in the
2: movie, I think, that it's you know, it's interesting what you're saying, because I think you get the sense in the movie that they were, if not exactly old friends, then at least acquaintances. Like, it feels in the very few lines of dialogue, it feels like they go way
1: back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was a part of me that was kind of like, I wish I hadn't read that, because I'm walking into this with a lot of context, and I'm having trouble, like, divorcing what regular audiences are picking up on this when I already know, like, okay, yeah, Galen and Krennic, they were at school together and then they had this, like, five-year history of where, like... Galen and his and his pregnant wife got captured by Separatists and were like pressed to give up information on the on the Republic and then Krennic orchestrated this jailbreak for them to put Galen in his debt and then spent oh, wow. all his time at Coruscant like trying to manipulate Galen into. Working on the Death Star without letting him know that he was working on the Death Star because <laughs> Galen, Galen's research is entirely into kyber crystals, and he thinks that they are uh, um, the key to unlocking um, renewable energy to be used on underdeveloped worlds and worlds that don't have good energy sources the way so like like in the Outer Rim, um, and uh-huh. Krennic, like desperately wants to advance in the empire not as a military man he's an engineer um and he wants to advance in the empire and the way he sees that he's going to do this he's going to use his old friendly connections with galen urso to build the death star's super weapon of and, course because that's
2: what you would do right. if you were the, in the empire forget yeah. about free energy you yeah want to so build a gun.
1: It, yeah so um uh spoilers for the end of the book I guess. Um Galen <laughs> Galen and Lyra and uh, a little tiny toddler Jin who's like old enough to be like walking and talking but doesn't really like doesn't really know what's going on. Um manage to escape from krennic's clutches um and go in with uh with the help of Sagarrara and go into hiding um, sort of out in the galaxy. Um, yeah. and, and, and that's where we
2: pick up in the movie,
1: right? And so Rogue One picks up with the day that Krennic finally catches up with them,
2: and his explanation to uh, to Galen is that the work is stalled and he needs him to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and it's obviously... sort of
1: unclear how the work has stalled for what Just... appears to be like ten years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But
2: well, yeah, yeah, right. Well, so- something's happened. I mean, and ultimately. Yeah. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but, like, yeah, there is there is a discussion to be had about the work in general, and we'll come to that mm. sort of organically later. Yeah. But, like, there is the, you know, they, they both sort of draw their lines in the sand there, where, you know, Galen doesn't want to go. Obviously, at this point, his wife and child are supposed to be running away. Neither of them are really doing that. <laughs> They're yeah. sort of running away and then running back. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the Empire-focused pitch is... You know we're this close to bringing peace to the galaxy, and Galen says you're confusing peace with terror. And this is one of my favorite lines in the movie, yep. where where he says, uh, "Well, you have to start somewhere," and that's perfectly Empire. <laughs> you yeah, know, like <laughs> it's exactly what they would think because they're horrible people. Um, and then there's the uh, and then sort of. You know the, the the point of this scene is to sort of separate everybody. So Lira, the wife, uh, reappears. This confused me at first. I didn't quite know why she was doing this or like what what that was all about. But she dies right after she says, "You will never win," which is a line that will be echoed later. Um, but you know she she dies. Jin, uh, little little Jin, I don't know, six or ish years old or so, um, sees it all happen. Uh, And then runs away in the place of hiding because uh, in the middle, right next to the uh, blue milk, right before this, uh, they called uh, Saw and said, uh, you know, the bad guys are coming. Uh, It's time to do that plan that we've talked about. So she goes and hides in some fake rocks. And and Saw eventually comes to rescue her. I want to
0: linger for a minute on the the Urso household because I I thought it was just so charming. How that house was set up and looked so very much like Luke's hovel Mm -hmm. on Tatooine. It's like, okay, this is like this is what industrial, you know, mobile
2: home housing looks like.
1: This is what a farmhouse looks like. This is this this is
2: what Star Wars that people who are fans of the original trilogy looks like, right? It is a dirty, gross sort of, you know, dust and grime covered. I mean, this is This is all of those things, and I I tend to think of those things as, you know, as they relate to, say, spaceships, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, like, the prequels, where Lucas took the opposite approach and made everything sort of clean. Um, This is is even a dirty planet, you know? It's, like, they walk around and they have that sort of black lava dust on them as they're running away and exchanging kyber crystals and, Mm -hmm. you know, necklaces and things like that. It's very, very much a, a Star Wars set. Like, they... They absolutely got that right.
1: And before we get away from this scene, can we talk for just a moment about the idea that an anti-imperial family that they still their child has a stormtrooper doll?
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Like, I have so many questions about
2: that. (laughs) I'm I'm not entirely sure what that's about.
0: Well, I mean I'm an anti fascist family, best I can figure, and I've got a bunch of stormtrooper <laughs> dolls kicking around my house. I
2: guess that's I guess that's a really good point, Charlie. Like I think like, you solved the, the the question. Yeah,
1: like is that like a local craftsman who makes those or is or is the emperor like legit just out there commercializing the image of his soldiers? <laughs> they had to pay for the
3: sequels somehow.
1: Yeah, like <laughs> Yeah, they needed they needed funding either. for this super weapon, yeah.
2: Uh, and then comes the title card, which yes. I thought was kind of, meh, it was a little weird. Just this sort of Rogue One fading off into the distance. I don't think that's worth getting upset about or or talking m- much about, but like that's how they solved the name, putting the name of the movie in the movie. It's just a smash cut, Rogue One, and then uh, we cut to Jin in prison, uh, where she was dreaming the flashback, turns out. And then we cut to the ring of uh, Khafrene. Or I guess Kefrini. It's a trading outpost, uh, and this is our uh, another departure, actually visually, from Star Wars. In that, as you pointed out in your review, Susanna, there are names of planets on the just, screen, f-
1: just floating up on that screen.
2: Yeah, straight up there,
1: like the a little movie... lower third
0: thing. It was really yeah. jarring to me. Yeah,
1: yeah, and the movie, the movie needs them, particularly in this this like next few set of scenes. I think is probably like, it's a. Uh... It's probably the jankiest part of the film. It just, it has the, they establish so much so quickly in so many different locations. Yeah. Um, that it's, the, it, the movie is, this is where it's sort of like struggling to get its feet on the ground.
2: Yep. Yeah, this is, I used the word overwhelming, I think, earlier, and I'll probably use it again. But this, this part of the movie uh, it seemed to travel very quickly uh, the first time I saw it. Um, You know, it it felt like Star Wars with slight deviations, but sort of keeping track of who was where and where we were, uh, it did feel like we were jumping really quickly and and, and a lot of stuff was sort of flying over my head. But there was, I think, to its credit, um, you know, first of all, on subsequent viewings, because Star Wars movies, I think, tend to get seen uh, more than once. That doesn't become that becomes less of a problem. And then the second thing in the movie's favor is, like, you arrive in this weird sort of trading outpost that's constructed between two asteroids in the middle of an asteroid field, and it feels like Star Wars, right? Like, it's not a cantina, but it's a bazaar, and it's the same sort of idea where you see a bunch of aliens who look like they come from the Star Wars universe, familiar and new, uh, but it felt very, very much like this—I know where I— I may not know this location, but I know the universe I'm in. Uh, and it and felt here... so
0: much more alive. I thought, yeah. inside and out, than some of the other location reveals that we've had in Star Wars history. I just, it felt to me at this moment like everything had just kind of received a big upgrade. Like, yeah, uh, we are, we are really getting more. We're getting more polygons here in our yeah. Star Wars.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think yeah. the closest location we have to this is like. Is like Cloud City because usually it's the single single ecosystem planet in Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, here's the ice planet, here's the desert planet, here's the lava planet. Uh, this is not a planet; it 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 is a settlement, but it exists sort of not. Well, yeah, it, it exists because people built it, not because mm-hmm. it you know it, it it was naturally formed that way.
0: <laughs> and we come down to street level though, and we're 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 following we're following Cashin. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 (laughs) My new Star Wars boyfriend. Uh, (laughs) uh
2: (laughs) He he is there to meet a dude who is freaking out. Uh, the The guy came from Jeddah, and he has news for Cassian of an Imperial pilot who is a cargo driver who just defected. And he, um, you know, everybody sort—I guess—at this point was sort of wondering why the heck the Empire is hanging out on Jeddah. And taking all of these kyber crystals and uh, uh, they seem like the, like it's, it's clear that they're close to an answer here or at least closer than the, the Rebel Alliance has ever been. But all throughout, there's this tension because this guy is losing, uh, losing his mind. You know, he's, It's all falling apart. He's saying Saul was right. There are spies everywhere. And and this is really, I think, the setup for what we're going to learn throughout the rest of the movie, which is the rebellion, the rebel alliance, the whatever, as as a joke becomes later, like whatever they call themselves at this point, is, is there are factions within it. It is not a, as I assumed it was for years and years, this sort of single minded, tight knit group.
0: Um, With some squid people.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, that's, I mean, I think this is really laying the groundwork for the idea that, um, you know, like Saw, and I think that's a big part of his point in the movie is to show that like the rebellion is not necessarily, even though Saw, granted, is an extremist and not strictly speaking part of the rebellion, he shares their goals. Um, and then when we see a little bit later inside the rebellion, we will learn that the re- rebellion isn't all exactly of of one mind and one voice. Um, and this immediately turns into like basically there's that exposition dump about the crystals and everything's falling apart and, the and none of it really driver. makes
1: sense yet because you don't have any no. context for it N- nope. and the characters and like like as the audience we're like the, somehow this gets to the Death Star right and the and the characters <laughs> like don't even know
2: yeah you know? right exactly because we are. Again, this is this this stuff is flying out fast and furious and uh like there's not a lot to, to, to hang a lantern on here, as mm-hmm. as they say. Yeah. Uh but before you can get super confused, stormtroopers show up. Right. Uh and and Cassian does uh something that at least once upon a time another Star Wars character did. Which is he shoots <laughs> first. Yeah, in <laughs> fact he shoots first and second and then eventually third. Uh, because at the point where he realizes that the freak-out guy uh, who can't sort of climb out and and, uh, and, and like hide their plans uh, is a liability, he straight-up lies in his ear and says, it'll be all right, and then shoots him and climbs and out. Then,
1: and then shoots him in the back, yeah. That's, that's a hell I of a character introduction. Yeah, and I, I didn't catch it until my second time through, just the look on Diego Luna's face as the guy falls like mm-hmm. he did t- like they they let him have a moment that you don't notice because like you didn't notice the first time going through because you're being bombarded with exposition and new locations right. and everything And i was like oh like they they did let him have a little moment that like foreshadows the rest of his character arc through the film like
2: yeah okay good see, see, you know w- where For are you me, jeff
1: <laughs> yeah as, as, as
2: the guy who's not a star wars fan at this point like uh, like I'm a huge Star Wars fan and I'm already, and I'm super confused and, and having a tough time keeping up. Is that is that my liability? Like where where are you? No. In, so in when your I s-
3: when I saw that scene specifically, I was sort of like, well, this ain't you're going to be your daddy, Star Wars." <laughs> uh, simply because like I know that like, that's not a thing. The I mean I understand how this, the universe works, but like I knew like that's not typical of the main characters doing some sort of you. fairly do. Dup- I mean I. I can only assume that he did it to protect himself, but at the same time, that's not, as far as I know, a common thing where, like, uh, you know, being being deceiving, shooting people in the back specifically, Mm -hmm. not a thing that I've I've come to learn about the Star Wars universe. But, I mean, that's what I liked about it, too. The the characters at this point already feel like, okay, well, we're we're dealing with people who have some complex things they're probably going to need to work through for the rest of the film, Uh, which I thought was interesting
1: yeah and, and as Star Wars fans we have a we have a giant Star Wars argument about the ethics of shooting someone in cold blood right. even if they're they are threatening your life um, because uh, George Lucas apparently feels that that isn't a particularly heroic thing to do right. um, well to I extent- mean uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm not I totally necessarily disagreeing like, but
2: right. well, I mean his argument is like I've seen him interviewed a couple of times about this and he has like a a pretty short quip about it. He said like, Essentially, he said people freaked out when he decided that he didn't want to show Han Solo shooting somebody in cold blood. And, like, at least on the surface, you get what he's going at. I don't think that's exactly what he did, Uh, Han Solo did, and I think that it by having him not shoot first, it really hurts his character arc. But at least I can understand what Lucas was trying to do there. With Cassian, uh, we have the beginning of a basically... A character who is doing bad things, because and he knows they're bad things, but he believes he's doing them uh, for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And and I totally get that that's
0: why this scene is in here and that's why this dude is in the alley. <clears throat> but I do not think that this scene works, and I'll tell you why, because there's no relationship between Cassian and alley dude. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. Between these two guys, mm-hmm. that sells me on the fact that Cassian is ready to to do exactly and whatever needs to be done to yeah. get the message back to the rebellion. I thought it fell flat, and like I get what they were trying to do, but panicky, fat dude in the alley that can't climb up the wall with Cassian is not a relationship. Yeah, yeah. Well, and murder, doesn't murder is give the shorthand. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and it's, it wasn't that's something a little that tough. I. I'm right there with you. I understand yeah. and, it, and it wasn't something that I connected to Cassian's arc until the second time I saw the movie. Like, I didn't walk. I didn't yeah. walk out of the screening and go, that's where Cassian's arc began. Right there. Yeah. Um, right.
0: But then if, had they really sold it and had they made him darker and more conflicted and more of a evil capable character, I think it would have contributed to every other scene that Diego was in throughout the movie. Because I think Diego did a a bang-up job at being Cassian. I just don't think that this scene served him well.
2: Yeah. This is Mm -hmm. one of those things that I had to watch more than once to uncover. And I'm not sure that that's a problem necessarily. Like, uh, I don't want to make the opposite argument, which is I should fully understand something the first time I read it, or the first time I watch it, or whatever. Like, Westworld's a great example of that. Like, no, it's actually great to sometimes go back and watch things and learn things that you didn't see. But this is not, to be fair, uh, as clever as Westworld. It's just moving at this breakneck pace. Um, yeah. And I did not, like you just said, Susanna, I didn't realize that this was his character arc at first. And it becomes very clear, we'll talk about it, where where, where those points connect back and, and he he actually has some movement. Um, you know, starting out as the guy who shoots first, um, but the point—I mean, ultimately, there's there's two points to the scene, right? We establish Cassian as this kind of uh, wow. I, I don't know if I should say rogue exactly because there's he's missing a bit of the charm, but that you know he he he's a I mean, tough we, guy and
1: he will do we things. We establish Cassian as an operative. <clears throat> sure. Okay.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, that works. But
0: um, well, well, you know what we also establish though is that for some reason stormtroopers are like the beat cops of the galaxy now. We've seen them <laughs> transporting <also true. laughs> prisoners through the desert. We've seen them just walk in the rows in a space prison, and now they're just down on the street with the common folk. It's, yep. I don't know. Stormtroopers get their, the, Stormtroopers get a a bad representation in this movie. I thought they were like the elite shock troops. Where's Where's the depth <laughs> in the imperial the, ranks is what I'm saying. Yeah,
2: it's, it's in the color of the uniform, Charlie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're wearing white, you might as well be wearing a red shirt. I see. Um, the second point of this scene is to move the story to where it needs to go, which is Jeddah, the Imperial-occupied moon. Um, and, you know, there's all these establishing shots of fallen statues. There's another title to say what planet we're on. Um, th- there's this—I don't quite understand this yet. There's the, I don't know what the character's name is. The guy with the breathing mask who is mm-hmm. not Saw— but yeah, Saur like, like number his, one um, dude. Yeah,
1: his I can't remember the name of the Jabba's Twi'lek guy. Yeah,
2: he's, yeah, he's sort of like <laughs> the, Fortuna. The guy, oh my God, he, he goes, okay. Yeah, right. He's like the guy who I guess goes out in the field because he's like Guerrero is
1: number one.
3: Yeah.
2: Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Um, and uh, he, uh, at least to my ears, I'm no uh, linguist, but he appears to be speaking Hatties, uh, which hmm. is again another tether to the Star Wars universe. And um, this is our uh, introduction, uh, of course, of Bodhi. Bodhi Rook, the Imperial pilot, cargo driver uh, that the freaking Out guy just talked about. Um, And he's running through sort of the deserts of Jeddah trying to find Saw Gerrera. Um, And uh, I think this is probably the time to do something brief about Saw Gerrera. Because this is actually a character who began in The Clone Wars. Um, clone wars did a bunch of interesting things and i think the most interesting stuff
1: and we're talking about the clone wars animated series not like the fictional universe concept of the clone wars
2: yeah i had no idea tell me more about this Dave. so uh one of the things i think that uh, clone wars the animated series did well is that it had a bunch of arcs like it would uh, have it would tell a story over multiple weeks and he appeared in a I think it's a four episode arc uh in the Clone Wars season 5. And he's basically um a hawkish rebel on a on a planet called Andoron um which the separatists took over because this is before uh there is an empire. Um okay. and he's he basically saw is young, I would say early to mid 20s. He's hawkish, he's super brash and impatient uh But he's also a really skilled warrior and part of a group of rebels on this planet that want to take the planet back from the Separatist army, you know, controlled by Count Dooku with droids running around and taking over and all that stuff. Um, There is a basically covert mission that the Jedi undertake, uh, including uh, Luke Skywalker. Nope. Anakin Skywalker (laughs) uh, and uh, and um, uh, Ahsoka Tano, Anakin's uh, Padawan. Uh, and they train a small group of le- rebels to basically incite a popular uprising and saw saw sort of fancies himself as the rebel leader. Although there's plenty of disagreement in the group about that. Um, the sort of twist ish thing is that his sister who's been there this whole time, uh, becomes the leader and saw doesn't take super kindly to that at first, but sort of eventually, um, you know, comes around and, uh, you know, he does. I mean, there's not a ton of stuff, honestly. Like, this is the root of the character. This is the in- introduction of the character, you know, as as Star Wars canon because the Clone Wars cartoon is that. Um, and we just move ahead many years to find Saw, uh, at, you know, played by Forest Whit- Whitaker. But in, in, there's really not a ton of stuff. Well,
1: there's that there's he does a in bit the of Clone him Wars. in oh. the Catalyst novel.
2: Okay. Okay.
1: Um, and then, like, we should say, I we should it should we should mention that like Saw Gerrera is notable in Rogue One for being, um, I believe the first character created f- who was, who was created for Star Wars, who was not created to be in a movie primarily yeah. who has shown up in a movie. Boba Fett appeared in the Star Wars Christmas special before he <laughs> surely, appeared in Empire Strikes, did. but he was yep. in it, I think because they'd already planned on him being an mm-hmm. empire. Mm-hmm. Um, Saw was created for Clone Wars and has now been incorporated into like a movie, which is mm-hmm. a big weird new thing that like is new yeah. to the the Star Wars um, sort of meta like franchise right. and the idea of it. That oh, you mean like so one of these comics or these novels could invent a character and then that character could be in a movie. Like, mm-hmm. um, so Saw is a relatively minor character in the Catalyst novel, but he shows up um, as a friend of uh, sort of a more central character who's. Name whose name is Haas, I think um who is sort of a disreputable um trader smuggler type who um, krenick gets um, on his under the table payroll to sort of help with his machinations and um Haas and saw become um, participants in what is sort of framed in the novel as one of the first organized resistances to the Empire taking over a system uh, where mm-hmm. the Empire shows up at a system fabricates a situation to say oh we're taking over all of your shit now because you you broke a rule that we said sure. we have um, hmm. and it's a it's a whole planets a star system of sort of shady smuggler trader planets and they all decide that they don't like this. And they all get together and um, they know they're not going to win, but they're fighting this like slow guerrilla war of we'll get all of our people out. We'll keep you at bay and then we'll burn everything as we leave. And you <laughs> well, won't find you go. anything good in this system by the time you're done. Um, and so and that's like post Clone Wars and like Saw in the novel talks about how like, oh, we you know, I know how to do this. Like we did this back on wherever. I don't know because I didn't watch Clone Under Wars. Run. yeah, it was, um, it was called Onderon yeah, for whatever and then it, that's worth. Right. And then at the end of the whole novel, um, through Haas, um, who knows the Ursos, the Ursos get in contact with um, Saw and Saw helps them find a planet to hide out on. That's sort of where the book ends. All
2: Um, right. That that, that makes sense. All right. Let me try and connect the dots really quickly. So he's this youngish guy during the period of the Clone Wars and in the Clone Wars cartoon, uh, young, brash, impatient, skilled warrior. His sister is the better leader. Uh, He does something brash like in the third episode where he goes to save the king but gets captured. But his arc over those, forgive me, I I don't remember whether it's three or four episodes, but that arc that that, that has him in the Clone Wars, uh, basically he he goes to save the king and meet the king, gets himself captured and tortured, but eventually realizes that the only way to win is to work together. Then some unknown number of years later, uh, I think it's fair to say we see the brash and hawkish side come out again. Yeah. Uh, you know the guy who who can help, but is also like, well, you know, sort of a loose cannon. And by the time we pick him back mm-hmm. up in uh, in Rogue One, he is so uh, he is so extremist that even the Rebel Alliance has has distanced itself from him. And obviously, he's gotten into enough dirt where he like he's sort of Darth Vader esque. I mean, I think that's the. I think that's the visual represent- representation yeah, think, that they're calling out, you know. Like, I
1: think that's a clear parallel they're trying to draw. Right. Like- there's, there,
2: there's a lot of him that is not uh, flesh anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Some replacement parts, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But, but then they, they
0: go so far as to give him that breathing mask, yep. right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. <laughs> and he sucks on it. And, like, I was really weirded out about, like, the way he was talking until I realized that, oh, it's probably because he has no air. Like, why is Forrest Whitaker making his voice sound like this? And then I realized that, oh, it's probably because he can't why, breathe. Because why when he is breathes it sounds a little just, better.
1: just eating every piece of scenery <laughs> that he can reach. Uh huh.
2: Uh-huh. Just
1: like, just totally hamming it up.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, that's that is, that is a little later, and that's your saw, so we can skip past yeah. that when we come to it. There is a little cut where we go to Wabani. And the Imperial Labor Camp. Jin is uh, is being transferred uh, from the prison that we saw her in to this. Uh, again, I will give myself a wedgie and a swirly if necessary because I have to say that the first thing I noticed was that the tr- the the uh, piece of uh, the vehicle—that's the word—that uh, she's being transported on has wheels. <laughs> I feel like there was a forty-year streak where Star Wars didn't worry about wheels so much, and suddenly, <laughs> sudden, suddenly there's just this vehicle with wheels, and nobody makes a big deal out of it. And there it is. So again, so it's I read that for you. Understand, understand? I totally
0: read that though as a pre-Clone Wars aged vehicle. That's that's what I was seeing when yeah. that rolled by. I'm like, could, oh could man, turning the beach is old. Yeah,
2: one. yeah. I, I, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Um, this is also the uh, Jin gets rescued scene. Although I, what I love, I think most about this is that Jin's uh, instinct is the moment that she gets rescued is to beat up her rescuers with a shovel. That's Jin. Like that is that is a tiny little bit of character. Um, uh, this is also our introduction to K-2SO. Yes. The the uh, the, the the droid in this movie, played by uh, Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk. Tudyk? Yes. Tudyk? No, yeah, Alan, Tudyk. Washed, Alan Tudyk is just doing right.
1: pick-up pickup voices for like every Disney film. Yep. You can imagine. He, also, the, also, this holiday season you can see him in Moana as the chicken. What? Yeah. <laughs> no. Nice. Uh-huh.
0: Alright. Alright, Alan. <laughs> A quick pause for a message from our sponsor. This episode of Polygon Quality Control is brought to you by MailChimp. 12 million people use MailChimp to connect with their customers, market their products, and grow their e-commerce businesses every day. MailChimp's been around since 2001, and the company started as a side project funded by a couple of web development folks. But now, they're the world's leading email marketing platform. They send more than a billion emails each day. They've democratized technology for small business, created innovative products, and that empowers their customers to grow. When you connect your store with one of MailChimp's hundreds of e-commerce integrations, you get to create targeted campaigns. It helps you automate helpful product follow-ups and send back-in-stock messaging to your customers. You can learn what those customers are purchasing, and then you can send them better mail. MailChimp will also analyze the purchase history of each customer to make smart, data-driven predictions about what they'll want to buy in the future. It's enterprise-level tech made simple for everyone. Just drag it and drop it. Sending personalized product recommendations to your customers increases sales in just a few clicks. MailChimp detects purchasing patterns in your e-commerce data and uses them to automatically predict your customers' buying behavior. So you get to target the right people with the right products. It's MailChimp. Send better email. Sell more stuff.
2: All right, smash cut. We're at uh, Yavin Four, the Rebel Alliance headquarters. This will look familiar to uh, Star Wars nerds because this uh, featured uh, sort of in the last act um, of uh, of the uh, original Star Wars movie, uh, A New Hope. Um, they're bringing Jin. They, being the Alliance, bringing Jin in in handcuffs. Um, and then there's uh, there's a scene, another sort of exposition scene, where uh, they sit around and talk about things. Um, There's, you know, there's the shock of the Rebel Alliance knowing who she really is. There's Mon Mothma who shows up, a character again from a, uh, in the timeline later, but from, uh, uh, you know, a much younger version. Interestingly enough, she got cast in the prequels. This actress, uh, Genevieve O'Reilly, was cast as Mon Mothma in the prequels in episode three. I believe it Yeah, it has to be episode three uh, and mostly cut, if not entirely, cut out of the movie. So Ooh. when they went back and they needed her, uh, a Mon Mothma, they just hired her again. So she got her chance to, to uh, I guess, huh. uh, make and a she fresh was, uh, start. She was
1: already 10 years older, so it was fine. Uh-huh. Yeah, and... yep.
2: it worked out. Uh, I thought she absolutely
0: killed it, too. That was one of my favorite uh, presentations of a classic character for the entire movie. I thought she mm-hmm. did a bang up Mon Mothma. Yeah, I think we can get
1: to the other ones when uh when we get to them, <laughs> but, but. Yeah.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> um all right, I want to uh, I want to keep this moving, but also this is probably the scene that washed over me m- m- like th- that I that I did not follow the first time through it's because rough, yeah, Yeah, because what uh, like I found myself say half an hour later going, "Uh, why is wait a minute, why is Jin here? I'm not sure what like this is the scene that has to motivate her." For from not helping to helping, like, and and she is not exactly a true believer of the cause, uh, you know. At this point, like, they are they are trying to convince her to go see Saw Guerrera, because the idea is, that, like, Saw will just imprison or kill anybody who just wanders up. But somehow the rebels know where she is, and they want to use her as leverage to get an audience with Saw because of mm-hmm. this, um, you know, defected uh, pilot.
1: Right, um, it's a little convoluted because they they spring the audience on with the idea that you know Galen UrsO is very important and they want Galen UrsO, but they don't want Jin to get to Galen. They want Jin to get to this other guy who can get to Galen. Yeah, like right middle, it's man. not it's not super um, smooth, as right as like a, a quick thing as a thing to spring on an audience at this point.
2: Right, so. Again, just to connect the dots, there's the imperial defector. Saw has him. You're going to get us to Saw, um, and then the, her. The incentive for her is, you know, Mon Mothma says we want you to to get your father and and rescue him, and then return him to the Senate for testimony. That doesn't work out so well. No. And then Jin says something to the effect of like, and if I do it, Mon Mothma says we'll make sure you go free. So like, there's why Jin is doing any of this, at least at this point, you know, the, the carrot and the stick of her dad, or, or the carrot at least of her dad, and the stick of, mm-hmm. I don't know, they throw her in pre- rebel prison if she doesn't do it?
0: Um, I think the, but,
1: the implication is they would just drop her back off on that planet. Probably,
2: yeah.
0: But um, then, but we, I mean, she's she's currently now a prisoner of the rebellion. It sets up this very adversarial relationship with Cassian, who she's trying to work with, right? Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, right. Yep. She's not, I mean, she is doing it, I guess, of her own free will, but she doesn't have a ton of choices and it's an interesting way to t- it's a it, it's a different take on the rebellion than my headcanon had at this point like i just assumed <laughs> they were all happy and and you know uh, agreeable happy uh,
1: lawful good chaotic right. good. you know
2: right and the, like,
0: burbling the f- rebels
2: the yeah. right the first act of the rebellion is murder and cold blood the second act of the rebellion is kidnapping and, and this so it's these are dire times, is, is how yeah. I'm reading this. Like, they've yeah, no, got it's, basically nothing. Yeah, it's definitely nothing. a
1: different look at the Rebellion than you get from, say, uh, Princess Leia and, you know, like, Obi-Wan's involvement in it. Yeah. And, you know, you're you're sort of, you get, you know, like, it's Wedge, right? Is it Wedge or... Wedge. Wedge. Who's the Which is the one that's Luke's best friend? Wedge. Okay, well,
2: yeah. Well, Wedge is a friend. Because there's, but Wedge, the,
1: there's you, Wedge and Biggs, and I get them mixed you, up a lot.
2: You, you're thinking Biggs. <laughs>
1: yeah where like like biggs is you know like oh like cool this is luke's best friend we've never yeah. met him before because he was cut out of the earlier scene but mm-hmm. you know but like cool like he must be a lot like luke and you know luke's idealistic and like he wants to run off and join the rebels and like everything you know like that that luke doesn't really get luke gets disillusioned with the war but he doesn't really get mm-hmm. disillusioned with the rebels yeah. um and we don't really get that side of them but like logistically and reasonably there's no reason that this side of the organization shouldn't exist you know
2: Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and and in context like they're desperate yeah which is i think the desperation is the key to understanding why they're doing these things and it's not as if like these are some people in in the rebel alliance and and, and later cassian basically says he's done plenty of this so uh, you know i'm not sure that I'm not sure to what extent we can say this is how the Rebel Alliance operates or this is how sort of a faction of the Rebel Alliance operates. But there is at least uh, at least what I can say is that like this is also the scene where they talk about, you know, uh, the militancy of Saw, uh, Mm -hmm. that you know, he's caused the alliance a a great many problems and he's an extremist. So at least there is a line in the sand that they've drawn. They may do things that aren't. Pretty, but th- I think what the movie is trying to say is like, no, there's worse. There's much, much worse. Uh, and yeah, that's I soft. was a
1: little disappointed that they didn't specifically spell that out. Like, because when you come in as like a person who knows the rest of the Star Wars movies, you're like, okay, yeah, but like the rebels were blowing up military bases left and right like mm-hmm. what could saw be like what do we see saw doing that the rebels haven't like saw literally attacks a military convoy and right. like at best you can say that like there's some collateral damage there and his men clearly don't really care about it but like I, like I, I, like the, like that's not like when when they say like well saw is too extremist for us and I was like oh you're about to like mount a terrorist attack on a yeah. military like like a t- like you're about to kill like million like thousands of people on the Death Star, yeah.
3: um,
1: like this hmm, like I like I wish you would say specifically what this is right. but. Um, but I don't right. think
3: that would – I I mean, I got the feeling that he wasn't, like, a great dude. I mean, he's he's extreme. He started every scene kick-flipping on a skateboard, so that was kind <laughs> of part of it. Yeah. But I I don't think they – I mean, I don't think they were ever going to explicitly show, but I got the feeling that he was a bad dude, and, like, if Rebels think someone is a bad dude, I feel like that's enough, or at least mm-hmm. in in the way that, from my understanding, Star Wars does character like expression. Like, if people are scared of him or, like, weary about him or, like right. – like, had yeah. hushed tones about talking about him. I felt like that was that was enough for me, at least. I, yeah. I think you're I think, right
2: there, Jeff. And I think too, the when we see him next, and we'll talk about that in a minute, there is wow. another aspect to him that is off mm-hmm. psychologically. Yeah, and I,
1: and I think I think that they they were kind of trying to push that with Saw, that like the ways in which he was more extreme than the rebellion. But I think they like they didn't push the rebellion's um, sort of reticence to act. Mm-hmm. far enough for an o- for like a, a for an audience that m- their majority of the experience with rebellion is like a fully militarized fully engaged like unified rebellion that's making really progressive plans against like the Empire's plans in, you know, A New Hope and in Return of the Jedi with this sort of fractious like, uncertain of how to proceed like, slightly pacifistic like, underground movement with Saw's Mm -hmm. rebels who are already out there attacking Imperial convoys. Right, um, that's it. Like, pseudo-torturing? Like, Like, they're not... They don't, don't, like... They torture Bodhi as much as you can get away with in a PG-13 film. Like... Mm -hmm. And, like, and also, like, the whole, like, bags of our heads thing. It feels like they're trying to, this is what they're trying to say, but they don't quite push it specifically or explicitly enough. And I, I mean that both in, like, the sense of, like, explicit tone, but also, like, explicit as in, like, like mm-hmm. this is what we are doing. Be, we're being very clear about it. Um,
2: yeah. Well, I think that, yeah. I, I think in, in broad strokes, at least what I can glean, is that the Rebel Alliance prefers to be quieter about their... Subversion of the empire, Mm -hmm. Uh, if if and when at all possible, um, you know they would rather have spies than a covert sort of military organization. That that you know they they would not even if you can see, and I think you can, the motivation behind Saw's group attacking uh, you know a tank full of kyber crystals and and a a, you know a bunch of stormtroopers. that's not that's that's how Saw works. That's not how the the, the, the rebels proper work.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and yeah. Although although you know this 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 sort of covert overt thing um, comes up immediately because it, basically as soon as Jin says yeah I'm in, uh, the they go out to take the ship to go to Jeddah and um, it's uh, it's that guy uh, that actor from uh, from the. The TV show, the last, uh, the night, the night waiter, or the night Dexman. What the heck am I trying to think of? Are you having a stroke? It's, it's, no, I, I am. Kidding. General Draven is his name. Alistair, uh, he was uh, the night manager with Loki. And Doctor House, that uh, TV show is oh, really good okay. this year. What uh, he, he comes, you know, you know, I just I so up, up all Dave, of the things. I'm so sorry, Dave, that we failed
1: you so badly. Right uh, it's
2: okay. <laughs> it's, uh, I, it was could I couldn't have been clearer, but you know, I, I worked it out. Uh, he basically, you know, he comes up and says to Cassie like, hey, I don't care what you heard. If you find uh, if you find him, uh, kill him, as in uh, 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 old Urso.
0: What's his name? Which sounds like a perfectly Game, yeah. reasonable thing for someone in his position to say right now. Like, if you can get within arm's reach of this guy, take him out because yeah. he is doing bad things and working against the rebellion. Right. Because do, he's the, clearly
1: do... on the verge of making a super weapon. He hasn't finished yeah. it yet. We're pretty sure he hasn't well, finished it yet. So right. Eh, right. we think right. he hasn't finished it yet. So definitely mm-hmm. kill him.
2: Right. Um, the fly in the ointment is, of course, that he's acting on terrible. Well, in, incomplete intelligence. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the next, the next place, well, there's the scene, uh, where, uh, talks to, uh, K2 about the gun, the bit with the gun. And she goes with the, she, I think she ends with the, like, trust goes both ways, which is what, uh, which is why she gets to keep her gun, Mm -hmm. which becomes important, uh, in a minute, but they take off. Um, they go to Jeddah, and it starts immediately with Saw and his lines are, uh, lies, deceptions. Let's see it. Uh, and, and he talks about the pilot and says he was, you know, Bodhi says he was captured. He defected. Saw says, he, he basically Saw believes nothing uh, despite what Bodhi says. So he tells him that he's going to take him to Burglitz what the the <laughs> evil octopus elephant yes, monster?
0: Yes, Saw
1: has an amazing truth octopus. <laughs> yeah. It's got I one was, of those. Which is what is I wrote so down in my notes at the screening.
0: A little weird. <laughs> I was so alarmed at this scene. I'm like, wait a minute, guys. Why is this necessary? Because is that every a common Star thing?
1: Wars, Because every Star no, Wars movie Jeff, has so. to have a weird monster.
2: It's true. That's, I Every mean, Star Wars movie has to thing. have a
1: weird monster interlude, and this was ours for Rogue One.
2: Yeah, <laughs> was so, this
1: weird bloatfish truth octopus?
2: I think ultimately, what it is is another uh, is is a way to show that Saw is kind of nuts, and yeah. also that uh, this is the kind of thing he does and doesn't worry about it. But now we have all this exposition
0: delivered by an actor who's like literally choking on his every word. Like it was so hard to parse for me. I'm like, in the grand scheme of things, when my movie is over two hours long, I can't cut two minutes of of Truthfish. Listen, it
3: didn't stop Christopher Nolan in Bane. Also true. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um,
2: Yeah, so there's that. And he's going to tell the truth one way or the other. And then uh, Smash Cut 2 uh the death star It's a bunch of star destroyer shots i think that look like butt here i have to say there's there oh are, no there, why there are star destroyer shots that look way too white to me uh and i've never seen them as white uh as this star destroyers look great basically cloaked in shadow i mean they're right uh, off the lot it's true also true <laughs> I, I, yeah I, I can't disagree with you there um then we have the scene. Uh, I'm guessing I'm probably not the only person to have basically thought this. Because if you're a Star Wars nerd and they're on the Death Star uh, and this ma- this old man is talking and you see his reflection in the window as he's looking out of the Star Destroyer on- onto the Death Star, I guess, at this point. Um, and you're like, oh, that's very clearly Grand Moff Tarkin. Uh, that's really interesting how they've done this. Like, they can put him in the movie, but just hint about him. Uh, with a reflection, and then
1: and he then turns not. around,
2: and uh, I have to say, the first time I saw this, I missed this entire scene because Nerd Dave, I just had my hand over my mouth, going, "Are they seriously doing this? Like, can they pull this off?" Uh, I just, I like to be clear, Peter Cushing, the actor who played Grand Moff Tarkin in 1977,
1: he died, died he in 1994.
2: In and also co-starred in the movie that just came out.
3: <laughs> yeah. so I a think little,
2: That's a, a bit much for me to, to, to take in.
3: I didn't notice that it was uh, CG for a couple of minutes. That uh, is awesome. Uh, the uh, thing about I... it, though, is like, I, I don't know if you guys saw the movie The Descent, um, but in The Descent, it's a movie about a bunch of women who go rock climbing, or sorry, spelunking, and then... <laughs> Just to ruin it, there is a monster, which is makes it compelling and frightening. But then they keep showing the monster, and it's sort of like that scene in Spaceballs uh-huh. where the the alien pops out of the guy's stomach and starts dancing, and it makes it kind of ruins it. And so, so the parallel that I'm trying to draw here is that like they overused it, and where I was like, okay, now yeah. he just looks kind of goofy at this point. Yeah, yeah
1: I, I thought yeah. he looked kind of I I just from like er, just from the beginning I was like, I feel like the, I respect your ambition. But I feel like I'm looking at a AAA video game, not a movie. Like I feel yeah. like I'm looking at Governor Tarkin from a very well-made Star Wars RPG, but not a mo- yeah. like he, he was always just slightly cartoony. So um, we're in a way the, I way, I the, get the past.
2: Yeah, the, the place I've come down is that when he was sort of standing around <laughs> or just sort of looking or or sometimes in the background or reacting, that all felt very much real to me what didn't is a lot of the time when he talked because I just found myself this is probably because I'm on the like uh, you know I really like computers and special effects and have my whole life so I'm I'm at, like part of me is just looking for tells and it's the it was the talking that's the tell to me it's like they didn't quite get the mouth right and when the mouth is right it's all I can see and it's not Quite perfect. There, there, there are moments where he looked indistinguishable to me from an actual person, but they did push the envelope here and and put him in this movie a lot. And the m- the more he was in it, the the more I just saw the the flaws. But I don't think it was like it's not. You know, I I don't think it was bad per se. No, like I think it worked. It wasn't distracting. But it was just, yeah. No. It was like this anybody agree. could do at this point, and it was pretty good.
3: The scenes that really broke it is where he did that part where he like turned to the camera and kind of broke the fourth wall like the Office. They did that too That's many times one. and and it ruined it for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> where it uh, just imagine though the casting, and and the you know the job opportunity. All right, we have a we have a plum voiceover <laughs> role that we're casting for the next Star Wars movie. There's just one catch: you've got to pretend you're Peter Cushing.
3: Like,
0: <laughs> good
2: no, lord, no one will know it was you.
0: Well, no I mean, one will ever know it was you, but it... just the challenge of rolling the Rs, like Peter <laughs> mm-hmm. Cushing rolls his Rs, that is a nightmare yeah. gig, man. And well, I they, thought he did could, okay.
1: Well, Tarkin's in in um, in Rebels, isn't he? Uh huh. Do we know if it's the same voice actor?
2: I
0: do. Who did
1: a, who did a great job, by the way? Like, mm. like the voice is absolutely the best thing about their reconstruction of Peter Cushing.
2: Well, the whole point of having him in this scene too, I should probably mention, uh, is that basically he's there to yell at Krennic. Um, yeah, he's there you know, to put, a, this, put
1: the boot on Krennic's neck.
2: Right. This is the office politics uh, section of the movie, where basically <laughs> yeah, tells like him we were, that the like emperor we were won't jo- like,
1: Yeah, like Jeff was joking about the office, but like that's <laughs> basically what all of Krennic all of Krennic's scenes in this movie are.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, like I said, office politics. Um, but basically he's telling him like, uh, you're kind of a screw up because at at this point, like Krennic, like the, the death star is Krennic's baby, but also, uh, Krennic is, you know, it was on his watch that somebody defected. It was on his watch for the last, how many years, decade plus 15 years, I think, or, or, or more. Um, that, you know, that Galen Erso has been, although they don't quite know this, uh, that, you know, that the, that Galen Erso has been working against them. So like he has a reputation for sort of getting things done like the Death Star, but also letting things slip through the cracks. And, yeah. uh, you know, like well, they, y- they... Y- your, your delays have helped the rebellion period.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the empire never actually figures out that Galen has definitely put a weakness into the Death Star. Right. Um, they never actually figure that out for sure. Krennic does, but he dies. Spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and so like that is still preserved. Like when we get to a New Hope, char- Imperial characters are still talking in the abstract about mm-hmm. the rebels stole the plans. If they find a weakness, yeah, you know. So this is yeah. more of like there was just a leak, right? That's bad, you know. And,
2: right. Mm-hmm. And Tarkin being Tarkin, he wants to see the weapon. Used, which is exactly what he wants in A New Hope. Uh, so I think that that works as his character. And basically, Krennic leaves and says, like, uh, he's he's seething, and he says he won't fail. And there's this tiny little flashback scene that is is to the best of my knowledge. If you look out the window, I think it's on Coruscant, and this is probably the era yeah. of of um, the the novel you read.
1: Yeah, yeah, right? that scene uh, pretty clearly takes place on Coruscant um, uh, during. Uh, during sort of the period where Galen was, Galen thought he was working on um, a rene- renewable energy source for the Empire when his notes were actually being picked up and taken off to other scientists who were oh, yeah. using on turning it into a weapon.
2: Yep. So it's just, a you know, a, a little more daddy loves you uh,
1: yeah, Dreaming, daddy. Stardust daddy loves stuff. you while he's having a business meeting with his like weird, threatening <laughs> friend who makes mommy nervous all the time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> Lyra's yeah. a great character in the book. I want to put that out there because like, like characters with, you know, like dead moms who like, because yeah. their dads are more important to the narrative and we have to simplify things is like a real big deal. Like, like if you're interested in, in learning more about Lyra, she's got she's a very cool character in the book of sort of like. This, this, like, this, like, um, socially awkward, like, really work-focused scientist Galen Urso, who's married to this, like, it, Id- like, professional adventurer, cartographer, like, wilderness guide, who yeah. um, isn't force-sensitive, but like, is a force believer, and like, finds like, personal solace and like, going to Jedi sites and, like, you know, spending time in the wilderness and, like, feeling the presence of the Force. Um, and she's got... She pushes back... She and Galen have a very good... Like, it would be so easy for the book to, like, make their relationship one where, like, she's constantly saying, I have a bad feeling about this, <laughs> and Galen being like, no, everything's fine, honey, it's all right, and, like, not listening to his wife. But they actually have a really great relationship of, like... Um, mutual of like actually being honest with one another which is like yeah. not a thing we get to see like couples do a lot in dramatic fiction because that's where a lot of dramatic tension comes from um so i will put that out there that like lyra is There's not in her. the movie very longer Lyra, i can't remember how they pronounce it um but like in the book she's a really like nice solid character and i appreciated that
2: that's good that's good um we but find Jin, ourselves Jin wakes up Yes. Yes. She wakes up. Uh, uh, it's, you know, we find Saw, we find your father. Uh, this is where we learn a couple of things. The city, you know, the Star destroyers over the city. Uh, Cassian says it's there because Saw's group has been attacking and uh, that that's, you know, Imperial backup. Uh, we learn that the Kyber crystals power the Death Star. That's new. Um, mm-hmm. And then they're going to go see uh, 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 Saw. Uh, we get a little bit of the elephant octopus. Uh, oh, uh, Borgolet is is the name of it. Who can feel your okay. thoughts? Um, okay. f- obviously, he's telling the truth, although they don't quite say that in the movie. We you know it's just implied, but like the the problem is the unfortunate side effect, as as Saw says, is that one tends to lose one's mind, or some weird way he says it because he, <laughs> he doesn't talk normal. Uh, and this is where we get the scene of the um, of Saw's faction. Uh, attacking the, uh, the 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 uh, Imperials, um, although we do get a little "Hey, just watch yourself, guy," from the Star Wars Ugh. and Walrus face from the Star Wars thing. Like
1: that was my uh, that was my least we, favorite uh, cameo in the whole we movie. Went,
2: <laughs> we, the Lucasfilm is in really does enjoy doing the "Hey, remember Star Wars" thing. Uh, it's it, it's at, at, it's in it's totally inoffensive and, and a lot of fun when it's blue milk that just happens to be in a scene. But it does get a little forest Gumpy from time to time.
1: Uh, it's like, yeah, wow, like, I was
2: involved in all of this.
1: I was like, oh, that's, that, that's really awkward it, yeah. and jarring. Like, uh. and then I walked out of the film and I was like, wait a second, how fast did those guys get off Jeddah to be at Tatooine a day later?
2: Yeah, yeah. Like it's it doesn't. Looking
1: like, back, two it doesn't days hold later up real they're well. on. Like they bumped into those guys and then they immediately got on a ship and left.
0: And he's like just telling a... everybody how many systems he's wanted <laughs> yeah, on. He's like, so hey, hey, would you like, like some uh, cream with your coffee? You know I wanted on
2: 13 systems. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That's pretty much it.
0: Well, but, you know, well, it's, it's a wake wake nudge, well, He nudge.
1: was wanted on 14, and uh, mm. now it's 13. After Now be movie. careful.
2: <laughs> You'll be dead. <laughs> um, Jed there... is no longer there, I see. Yeah. Right, right. There's a little line in here uh, where, where Cassian says... Uh, well, another little exposition thing, uh, where he's telling uh, Jin, who I almost always call Ray every time, where he's telling Jin uh, that uh, that he hopes that this is going to work out, and she gives the hope, and he says rebellions are built on hope. That is another line that's going to have an echo uh, uh, down the down the line.
1: Right, and we, um, we also run into our our gay Star Wars grandpas. <laughs> I'm
2: sorry. What? I'm sorry. Where are we? <laughs>
1: We run it. We run into our our Star Wars grandpas who <laughs> uh, you know have a, have a very special relationship.
2: May the um, force of others be with you.
1: Yes, we we run into we run into Bays and Chirrut. Um, oh
2: my God! Thank God you know how to pronounce that because yeah, <laughs> jeepers! Could, did I not get that?
1: Um, and uh, oh, and and like and I don't know. I I like them a lot. Um, I like I like the the. The flavor that they give to like a the post Jedi Star Wars universe. Yep. Because we see it all. The, we this al, is we the mysticism that, in a yeah. in a
2: movie that largely does not have it.
1: And we we see we always see the Star Wars universe from the perspective of Jedi characters.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they they um, are the uh, the they're the guardians of the wills, which is a total nerd Star Wars thing. <laughs> um, yes, tell me but, about the but,
1: tell me about what they are, please. David.
2: When George Lucas sat down to originally like write Star Wars uh, as a like a you know a couple page treatment in I don't know 1973 or something, he, he wrote uh, he, w- what he wrote is certainly not what Star Wars came to be, and he changed things, but like it was classic like George Lucas yellow legal pad with a pencil writing about uh, telling the story. His original thought was he was going to tell the story. Uh, an, an outsider was going to tell the story, almost almost like a narrator, if not straight up a narrator. And the narrator was basically this thing called the Journal of the Wills, W H I L L S, and um, that became a uh, uh, that that was something he dumped in favor of the Force, like hmm. the thing, like that 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 storytelling conceit, eventually morphed into what the Force is, the thing that bound everything together, didn't have to be a journal; it could be this. Force-like thing, but like it's a funny thing. You can find the document uh, uh, out there. Like he uses the word Padawan, you know, when he writes the first couple of sentences about Star Wars. You know, (laughs) forty some years ago. Um, Okay, and that became uh, the 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 Star Wars. Alan Dean Foster, the author, ghost wrote the original Star Wars novel. George Lucas's name appeared on it, Mm. Um, but Alan Dean Foster also wrote the novelization of um, the Force Awakens, and there was something about the Journal of the Wills inside. I believe it's the very beginning, if 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 my memory serves me. But it's like a you know a quote from the Journal of the Wills. So that's it. Kind of became canon there, uh, but it totally became something. Whatever the Guardians of the Wills are, um, the the Wills was a thing that kind of came and went, and is now an actual thing in Star Wars.
0: But what I um, loved about this pair of guys, though, is that they very artfully. Wove in this whole other layer of of force worship, of Jedi worship yep. that we'd never seen
2: before. You don't have to be a Jedi to to adore or worship or follow the Force. Yeah, right. I mean, but we then got, yeah,
1: and we got our first like we got our first sort of hint of that in the films with Maz in Force Awakens, where she's not a Jedi, but she's clearly For sure.
3: For sure. tapping
1: Absolutely into right. that, um, and and uh, and and since so the same way like Truett is clearly for sensitive. He clearly has some, like sort of extra, extra normal reflexes or senses mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. He can't mind trick anybody, and he can't pick stuff up without touching it. Um, but he's
2: sure good at
3: fighting while being blind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I was happy to see <laughs> uh, Asian people doing martial arts in Star Wars for the first time. <laughs> Go I'm just figure. Generally <laughs>
2: happy to see martial arts, yeah.
3: Yeah, well, but you also know, part, Asian people. Well, you know, because part of it—I mean, from my understanding—a lot of the sort of Jedi construct is sort of has a lot of parallels with like samurai ideals and things like yeah, that, and with, too. Yeah, just and to with dork the out for three
2: seconds, as
1: well.
2: You know. Yeah, yeah. Right. And just to dork out for three seconds, like uh, Lucas was heavily influenced by Kurosawa when yeah. he was creating the Jedi. Like he was looking at samurai.
1: Yeah, and like. So it's and, always been there.
2: It's a natural yeah, and, fit.
1: Baze and Chirrut have basically walked out of a Star Wars-themed adaptation of The Seven Samurai. <laughs> like, they, they just flat out are, like, a couple of characters from an adaptation of The Seven Samurai. Um, where, where cool. Chirrut is, like, the guy who is sort of still keeping the faith. You know, he has his personal mantra. He still believes in the Force. And Baze, I didn't actually catch this line until totally, my second read-through.
2: Totally, didn't figure this out until this yeah. morning. Yeah,
1: in my second read-through, that Baze, that Chirrut says when they're in Saw's prison, that Baze used to be the most devoted of the Guardians. He
2: lost his faith. He has an yeah. arc that I did not realize. Yeah, he, I mean, but it's also, it's also a one-line exposition that you could totally miss right. two, the first two times you watch it. But, like... Yeah. Yeah, it, totally. He was the guy, the, the guy with the gun, the most anti-forced weapon ever, right, mm-hmm. is the guy who used to be the biggest believer.
1: The guy who has a gun that turns into like three other kinds of guns. Yeah, it does. Like it's the Swiss yeah. army knife of guns.
3: Yeah, I would love a, a movie, a book, a comic, a flip book of those, <laughs> their adventures. Yeah, I'm Anything. pretty sure
1: we're getting a young adult novel about them. I think I saw a picture of that somewhere.
2: It's, this is one of those, like, totally they're ripe for that. And, like, there's mm-hmm. got to be stories you can tell about them. I think my biggest problem, I might as well lay it out right here, is that uh, the first the first time I watched this, I, uh, I'll come back to this and I won't spend too much time on it now. I didn't care much. Like, I think they had a tough time. There were many, many main characters, or not main characters, many, many characters... Uh, and I had a tough time like investing in any of them the first time around. Um, and it's because I think it was it, they chose many many people to be in it and they did not you know it was like I've heard criticisms of the first Avengers movie where it was a series of meetings except I loved it and I never really thought of it like that. but like there were wa- there were these sort of introductions that made you like them and of course Marvel, it's not a one-to-one comparison because there were plenty of movies before that one with these characters, right? But in, yeah. in here, I had a tough time sort of... Ultimately, I did care about the characters, but at first, and, 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 uh, it, was, it, was, it was tough for me to, to ultimately care about them. Why, the reason I bring it up now is because for some reason, this duo did not get a ton of introduction, but I didn't feel like I needed it for them. Like, it was very clear to me who they were and what made yeah. them cool, and I was it's, good with that.
1: Yeah, they're very archetypal. They're very familiar. You know, mm-hmm. you sort of get it. They are the two warrior buddies and one of them believes and one of them doesn't. And like, that's a thing. Like, that's all you really need to say about those characters. We've seen these before tons mm-hmm. of other places. Right. Like,
2: it's it's yeah. sort of shorthand.
3: Even in their body language, like if you just took a still of that, them sitting in that like alleyway, like you kind of get who those two are already. Yep. And I think Susan so, yeah, right. is right. Like, yeah. you get a sense of who these two are. Um, God, and I said but it, I, think,
1: I said it in my review, but like. Every other scene in this movie is the cover of a paperback novel, in a used <laughs> bookshop somewhere in the sci-fi <laughs> section. Like, mm-hmm. and yeah. and I think I think Jeff's right that 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 shot of the two of them standing in that alleyway, like that's a book. Like that's yeah, like right. I've you seen can write that a
2: backstory to that. Yeah. I've
1: seen that in a pile of yellowing trade paperbacks, you know, in a in and... a milk crate on the floor of a bookstore before. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and I would love to read the story that leads them into that alleyway. It just uh, would be so right. good. But I think to, to the point you are making too, Dave, about the Avengers, the Avengers is more a question of what happens when you put these people you know who have their own conflicts and yeah. ideals into a room to see what happens. I don't think we had enough of this. And I think, I forget it, what conversation I was comparing this to like Ocean's Eleven. And I think you don't get that sort of like, you know, three-minute intro of Brad Pitt yep. meeting them. And sort of them seeing doing them doing something in their element, but I think at least obviously with a fight that you probably will mention in the next 10 seconds, like you get a sense of like, okay, I know how these guys operate in a fist, you know, in a, in a it, that hustle. Is,
2: that is exactly right. What, what the, uh, you know, it's not worth going blow by blow through the fight, but I think what I appreciate most about this fight is that it it gave, um, it basically gave through action insight into those two as characters, and then by the end. Jin as a character, because this is the this is the scene where you see like where even Cassian sees like well she can take care and, of and herself and K
1: too. It's all of them yes. actually. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. You, you so get like, to see
1: all of them fight and they're all fighting for each other.
2: Yep. Like, right. It's the, the beginning of, see, of the yeah, them coming the, together.
1: The Jin's out there because of that little girl. Cassian's out there because of Jin. K Two is out there well okay, it's because he's bored. But
2: but also <laughs> for
1: both of them, you have that amazing bit where she shoots an imperial droid in the chest. Yep. <laughs> and she goes, Oh no and then and then realizes that K two is you actually know that behind was me? him. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Um and then and then you and then, you know, Baze and Bays and Chirrut come in and are you know, Charut comes in because he senses that they are good people fighting the Imperials and he wants to protect them and then Bayes shows up because Truud right. has dragged him into this conflict right. um, And you get
2: you get a reason in that fight this is, this is why I like how it was constructed so well. you get you get the uh, standard issue sort of force stuff right like here's the blind man you yeah. know blind man fighting with a staff and taking down half a dozen stormtroopers, but also that scene, like, he wouldn't have survived if he didn't have his buddy who had lost his faith and was carrying a gun to take down a bunch of other stormtroopers. So it, it, you know, it works, it, it pushes them both forward.
1: And it, it also it very helps, tremendously,
2: go ahead, Suzanne, I'm
1: sorry. Uh, and it helps the the narrative throughput that we've all been trying to, that we were all trying to figure out last year, which is how did the Jedi get forgotten so quickly? Yeah. You know, it yeah. help it helps this throughput of well. Part of it is because the empire is trashing everything about them. Um, yeah,
2: I'm just and, wiping them off the map. Yeah, and, and part of history.
1: it, yeah, and part of it is because when all you have of the force is force sensitives, the force looks an awful lot like random chance. Sure. The force looks an True. awful lot like you, you, regular, you like people who are like kind of cool and experienced and have skills, but also like Chirrut would never have survived if Baze hadn't shown up with a gun. Mm-hmm. And like a Jedi would look at that situation and be like, oh, well, like the force is flowing through both of them. Like the force right, but, has, you know, the force is part of their relationship. The force is part of why Baze was even there in the first place. Right. But, but you, a Han Solo minded right. person
2: would say, well, of course, his his other senses are heightened. Yeah. Because he can't, he doesn't
0: have sight.
1: Like, the guy with the gun saved him. He doesn't have any, he has a gun, he doesn't have anything to do with the force. Like, this isn't... You were saying, Charlie. The
0: the thing that I was really proud of this scene for doing, though, was being this very dramatic three-way engagement and telling a story in three dimensions, but also... Illuminating that conflict between the regular rebels and these extremist rebels. It's a good so you've, point. you've got this conflict here that suddenly snaps into focus oh, and leads you know so what? very naturally into the next scene.
2: Yeah, because what mm-hmm. does Jin do sort of at the beginning of the fight but run out and save a child? And none of Saw's forces were worried about that.
1: Yeah. And then Cassian exactly. has to kill one of Saw's soldiers in order to save Jin from dying.
0: And you can yeah, see exactly where yeah, everybody works. is as that plays out. It's it's incredibly well done. The thing I didn't get is where did that where did that X-wing come from?
2: Like there's soft of steps there.
0: out. It was just sort of there yeah,
2: in the background. Huh. It,
0: it lingered so large in all the press materials. I expected some story as to why there's this crashed X-wing in the middle of this firefight, and it's, nah, yeah, it's just,
2: n- no, it's just no there because it looks mm. cool to stand in front of an X-wing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Unless there is some story bit that they cut out, but yeah. I can't imagine that there was a, 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 a space fight, yeah. something. No, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So, so... Uh, we move. Yeah. So they win their battle, but then get captured. Uh, you know, Saw's forces capture them, mm-hmm. and uh, we wind up back in Saw's horrible place. There's there's some more <laughs> wink wink nudge nudge here. Like people appear to be playing dice on a. Hollow chess board that isn't holographic, and there's like a dancer from Jabba's palace. It's again like that's the kind of stuff. That's the that's the member Star Wars sort of stuff that they seem to like to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess it, it can all be it can all be great. Like if we're gonna wipe out the the rest of the canon, some of the things that we keep can't be the best things. And I guess I guess we had to keep the idea that all Twi'lek women are slave girls, <laughs> right? And that right. like.
2: What's, the worst part about it is, to me, honestly, they they're, they're, they didn't need it. It was unnecessary, and uh, when it when it is so obvious that it sort of pulls you out of it, you're, you're harming yourself. Like you had done from scene two, uh, well, really scene one, and certainly that whole opening scene on on you know the, on the planet years ago with Jin and her family. You had, like, you had already convinced me that we were in Star Wars. Like, mm-hmm. you don't need to do more convincing. So it seems like they were trying just a little harder than they needed to. Well, for um, me, but,
0: though, there was also uh, this false reveal, right? Like, I thought that Saw's forces... We're going to be this ragtag group that we followed for the rest of the movie. I thought they were going to pile into the U-Wing and huh. go to Scarif and fight that battle. There were the monsters. There were the aliens. There were the weird weird number two guy that had his breathing mask. <coughs> that was, to me, one of the most diverse collections of new characters and the most interesting characters I'd seen in a Star Wars movie yet. Yeah. And they all just, they didn't even get wiped out. They just went in a different direction.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's part of. I totally understand what you're saying. I think that is really what this is about. Is this movie sort of funneling everyone to when there are these when there are, when when these paths are all diverging? What this movie is basically doing is funneling everyone toward this one thing that's going to bring everybody together. Because we, we're, we're in this scene where Saw and Jin are reunited, and she's pissed off, and I think rightfully so. But he is also like, no, I, like, she, she, her argument is you abandoned me. And his whole thing was like, I was protecting you. Now, it might have been okay had he said at some point 15 years ago, hey, I'm going to leave. Uh, I know you can take care of yourself. Uh, I'm doing this for you. But apparently he chose not to do that. And then <laughs> he, there's further evidence that he's lost his goddamn mind. Because just out of nowhere, he's like, it's a trap, isn't it? What, the pilot, the message, all of it? Like, he's just being Mm -hmm. weird saw. which Yellow point pops. Right, right. (laughs) Like, he's basically, again, we don't, there are so many characters and there is so little screen time to establish it. That, like, every one of these things becomes more meaningful, I think, than it might otherwise be. Mm -hmm. Because you've got to basically convince everybody that this is like, there's a reason we're not following this person. If we wonder why. Yeah. Um, yeah. It,
1: like that was also the moment for me that made clear that, Oh, he's not, he's not like a savvy, like rebellion leader right now. He's, no, he's a fist. actually a paranoid, like right. he's, he's like the paranoid ruler of this crumbling you know exactly like, like, like you all these people me? are do- like look at that star destroyer look at all the ships that are going up and down to it your one band of guys just robbed yep. one convoy
2: right like, the, he's so focused on punching he's so focused on the micro that he yeah. misses the macro and but that's, that's also where like, that's the that's, that's the also thing like that the, the alliance does yeah.
1: but that's also the only thing he's capable of doing correct like, i believe he's that's got correct, himself yes. in this corner where like he he's you know he's 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 like, not, he's not really functioning. Um, Right. But but yeah, so like, we have have these two uh, things that happen in this complex before things are interrupted, um, where like, Jin and Saw kind of, at least reach a point of equilibrium. um, Saw shows uh, her the message from her dad, and then...
2: Uh, Well, I love what you just said, Susanna, before you mm -hmm. go too, too, too much farther... He's ensconced. He's painted himself into the proverbial corner, right? Yeah. There's nothing he can be but him. Jin, right now, and I didn't think about this until you were just talking. Jin, mm-hmm. right now, is up in the air. She basically says, like, "Hey, you know." He asks her, "What does she want from this?" And and he, she says, like, "They wanted an introduction. They got it. I'm out." And there's yeah. the line about, you know, the, the can you see imperial flags flying everywhere? And she's like, "I won't look up. Not a problem." Oh,
1: God damn like, line. And like,
2: like, yeah, it's really good. And but like, that's the whole point is that she is we she doesn't know this but like minutes away from turning a corner and yeah. he there's no corner for him to turn this is which is why he makes his last stand here cuz there is no other place for him and i think he knows that
0: And thanks to you at home for listening today. We'll be back next week with part two of our Rogue One discussion. In the meantime, we've got a ton of stories on the movie at Polygon.com, including a look at a very early treatment of the film produced internally at Industrial Light & Magic in 2013. We've also got a look at the evolution of Darth Vader's castle, confirmed it to be on Mustafar. Until next week, this is Charlie Hall. Thank you for listening to Polygon's Quality Control. Integrate and connect your store with MailChimp in order to personalize and automate your marketing. Visit MailChimp.com to learn more.